Day and night and night and day, the living creatures give their praise. To Him who lives eternally, they never cease from saying, Holy, holy is Yahweh. Hello. Welcome to Walking in the Word. My name is Shell Wagner. I'm so glad you came to join me today. We are going to uh, embark on part two of the Kings and Prophets series. So I'm going to go ahead and add my presentation to the screen and uh, we're going to get going. I hope you guys are enjoying it. I know I am certainly enjoying uh, presenting it. I've enjoyed all my study time. It's been an amazing thing and and I am learning so much as I go through it because I'm putting it together as we go. I've actually spent just weeks on this because it's very detailed. Alrighty, so let's kind of pick up where we left off last time. We really stopped um, in chapter 10. And so now we're going on as far as uh, we're, we're going to be examining from First uh, Kings 11 and 12 in this part. We're going to be looking at some things that we see here. Okay. All right. So chapters 11 and 12. This, this talks about the split of the northern and southern kingdoms. Actually, they're splitting again <laughs> because they were split um, if you noticed at the time of David, when we did that reading, and then they they came back together for a 33-year period underneath David, and they were uh, together um, underneath the entire 40-year reign of King Solomon. And now, uh, now we're coming up to the, the split. So this is what we're starting to look at. So the split of the northern and southern kingdoms, again, the times of the kings begins during the lifetime of Samuel, the prophet who was from the tribe of Ephraim. A synopsis of 1 Samuel 8, 1 through 5 is this. Samuel's sons were the last judges of Yasharel. As he was getting along in years, the people of Yasharel came to him and told him, your sons do not have the right heart to be judges over us as they practice wickedness and they do not follow after Yahweh. Therefore, we would like to have a king so that we can be like the other nations. This led to the first king of Yashorel, King Shaul of the tribe of Benjamin. After Shaul, David from the tribe of Yehuda reigned and then his son Solomon took the throne. So it's not taught in the American public school curriculum. But the whole house of Yasharel was once the superpower of the world. David subdued the enemies of Yasharel during his reign. In fact, this is why Yahweh would not allow him to build the temple because he was a man of war. Yahweh declared that Solomon would have that honor. During Solomon's reign, Yasharel was the supreme nation on planet Earth. They were the head merchants. They owned the gold and they made the rules. Isn't that how it goes? Okay, so now here again, I have picked up 
Stephen Collins' book, Origins and Empires of Ancient Israel. I found something interesting on page 246 that I wanted to share with you. Here's what it says. There's no evidence that other nations converted to the worship of the God of Israel during Solomon's reign. The nations undoubtedly stood in awe of Israel's God, but there is every indication that they continued to serve their pagan gods. Indeed, the Phoenician golden age of peaceful international relations and worldwide scientific pursuits began to unravel during Solomon's reign. The Bible shows that the worship of pagan gods began to permeate Israel through the acts of Solomon himself. In addition to collecting gold, world treasures, artworks, flora and fauna, orchestras and singers, etc. Solomon also began a large collection of women. He collected a harem of 1,000 women. Okay, so let's look at that in the scriptures. In 1 Kings 11, uh, 1 through 6 is what I'm reading on this slide. But King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moavim, the Ammonim, the Edomim, the Zidonim, and the Hittim. Okay, when, when we look at the next slide, this will make sense. Remember these five that were mentioned. There's five mentioned in that verse, okay? Keep that in mind. We're going to go further into that. Of the nations concerning which Yahweh said unto the children of Yasharel, you shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their Elohim. Shalomo clave unto these in love, and he had 700 women princesses and 300 concubines, and his women turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Shalomo was old that his women turned away his heart after other Elohim, and his heart was not perfect with Yahweh Eloheyu, as was the heart of David his father. For Shalomo went after Ashtoreth, the Elohai of the Zidonim, and after Malcolm, the abomination of the Ammonim, and Shalomo did evil in the sight of Yahweh and went not fully after Yahweh as did David, his father. Continuing on in first Kings uh, 11 verses seven and eight. Then did Shalomo build a high place for Kemosh, the abomination of Moab in the hill that is before Yerushalayim and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange women, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their Elohim. So we have five listed here. And I believe this is exactly what was referred to with the five um, husbands of the woman at the well that, that Yahusha told her about, that you've been married to five before this one. Okay, I'm not quite sure what number six was yet. Maybe in study, we'll be able to figure that out. But I know that I believe absolutely that these five is what he was referring to, because that woman is a representation of the whole house of of Yasharel. The whole house has been unfaithful. 
right? And so I believe this is what he was addressing. So I wanted to take a look at these names in the pictographs. So the Moavith, let's look at that one. We've got a Mem, a Vav, an Aleph, a Bet, a Yod, and a Tav. Okay, so the word picture I got, and I've got it listed for you in the pictograph here, chaos is connected to the crown of this house. Works establish a covenant. Okay, there's the first word picture. Amonith. Let's look at that one. Um, I've, the word picture I got is see the chaos in the genome, the genes, the deeds connected to this covenant. The Adomith. Oh, and I'm sorry, I really didn't break down very well. If you're listening by podcast, let me go back to Amonith. It is an ayin, a mem, a noon, a yod, a vav, and a tav. And so we see in that with the ayin, we've got the word picture of the eye, the mem, you've got waters, the noon, you've got the um, seed sprouting forth, we got life going forth. We've got a yod, which is a deed, uh, like of the right hand, what you do. And then you've got the vav, which connects, and then it ends with a tav for covenant, right? So see the chaos in the genes, the deeds connected to this covenant. That's what we've got in a word picture. Next word, uh, next uh, false Elohim is the edomith, the edomith. Okay, so we've got the word uh, edom there in the beginning of it, right? So you can see there. We've got an, an Aleph, a Dalit, a Mem, a Yod, and a Tav. Okay, so I found that very interesting. The authority on this pathway is chaotic works of a covenant. See, you've got the authority in the Aleph. You've got a pathway um, by the Dalit. You've got chaos in the waters. You've got the right hand, the Yod, the work, the deeds, right? And then you've got a covenant at the very end, a sign, the Tav. Okay, so the authority on this pathway is chaotic works of covenant. Okay, they've connected themselves. All right. All right. The Zidonith. Okay. Um, let's look at that one. We've got a Zadi. We've got a Dalit. We've got a Noon, a Yod, and a Tav. So the Zadi, you've got a man that has been laid down on his side. Okay. So he's been like hooked by something fish hook, right? There, there's a, a warning in Jeremiah that says, you know, um, he's going to send many fishers to fish for you. And then he's going to send hunters to hunt for you, you know, uh, when we're the disobedient, right? Okay. So let's look at this word. So you've got this man laying on its side with the, with the Zadi and then the, the Dalit. So I've got the word picture hooked is the man on the pathway of this generation. See the noon, the genome, the, the generations going forth hooked is the man on the path, on the pathway of this generation who is working to establish this covenant, right? Because uh, look at how every single one of them has to do with coming into covenant, right? Not a covenant that you want to be in, not Yah's covenant, but a covenant with a false Elohim. Okay. Now let's look at the Hittith, right? 
we've got a het, a tav, a yod, and a tav. So we've got the separation from the covenant, right? Of Yah's uh, is the work of this covenant. Like it's saying that what's happening here, when you come into covenant with this one, it's designed to separate you from the covenant that would have brought you life. This is, it's showing the function here. I, I love how, how every single one of these is showing that to come into covenant with these false Elohims, all works to drag us away from the correct covenant we should be in, which is with Yah. So to follow these false Elohims, this is what's happening. And people don't understand that they are doing this today, but I'm telling you, it's rampant. This is a hallmark of Yasharel, okay, of, of the house of Ephraim, which is really, we're going to do some more teaching on this, but you'll understand. This is what really the, the believers, most of the believers in the church system, this is what we've inherited, lies, okay? All right. So I did a in-depth video on this explaining these five husbands at the of the woman at the well. And um, if you're just, if you look for it by date, it's on uh, our Heart of the Tribe uh, YouTube, Brighty on Rumble um, podcast, but it would all be available um, there. And it's underneath the date. March 17th of 22 of 2022. So if you just look for that date with a heart of the tribe teaching, um, you'll see that's the one explaining the five, five husbands um, of the woman at the well. Okay. So I went in depth there. All right. So continuing on with this, with this study and, it, and in that video, I show the modern day links of, of how we're doing this today, of why we are still as the house of Yasharel, most of us are still in covenant with these five uh, false Elohims as the husbands. Okay. First Kings 11, nine through 11 says, and Yahweh was angry with Shalomah because his heart was turned from Yahweh Elohai of Yasharel, which had appeared unto him twice, right? He'd had a face-to-face -face encounter with Yah, not once, twice. All right, verse 10, and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other Elohim, but he did not guard that which Yahweh commanded. All right, he did not guard it. I have to write myself a note. I just thought of something. Okay, all right. All right, so he did not guard that which Yahweh commanded. Wherefore, Yahweh said unto Shalomah, For as much as this is done of you, and you have not guarded my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely rend the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Okay, so this is what happens. Solomon sinned by not guarding, keeping, and taking care of what was given unto him. The word for guard or keep here is shamar. Okay. We've got a shin, a mem, and a resh. We've got a word picture. 
that the shin, you can see it's, it's like teeth. Okay. And what do teeth do? They destroy, masticate food so that the body can digest it. So there is destruction. Okay. So what's it saying when we guard or we keep, what have we got? There is, what are we destroying? There's chaos. The heart of this word is, listen, there's chaos. <laughs> and that's the waters, right? The chaotic waters. They go up, they go down, they go here, they go there. They follow the path of least resistance, okay? And sometimes they can bring huge destruction. Sometimes they bring refreshment, you know, but it, it's it's chaotic. You never know what's coming with a rush of waters, okay? So he's saying destroy chaos that has been sent, rush by the prince or the man, the mind of man that is in rulership and authority, the princes, that's, it's an elevated position, the, the princes of this world system, right? So when we guard Yah's covenant, this is what we're doing. We are destroying the chaos that is sent by these principalities and powers orchestrating through the mighty men, the gibberim uh, on, on earth today. You, people in position of power that are there and have very nefarious agendas. Okay. So how do we do this? How do we shamar? How do we guard, right? By being faithful to protect and defend what he has given to us in our realm of influence. We all have a realm of influence, okay? And and that's, he wants us to be faithful where we're planted. Not long ago, Lee did a mercy poured forth that talked about blooming where you're planted. This is how we guard, okay? By blooming and being faithful right where we are planted, All right. In 1 Kings 11, 12 and 13, it says, Notwithstanding in your days, I will not do it for David, your father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of your son. Howbeit, I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to your son for David, my servant's sake, and for Yerushalayim's sake, which I have chosen. Okay, so what he's saying here, he's giving them Benjamin and Yehuda, right? For David's sake and for Yerushalayim's sake, he's giving them, so this is the Southern Kingdom, okay? Made up of Benjamin and Yehuda. Now the Levites, of course, had no land grants. So some Levites were going to stay in the territories they were already living with in, which would be in the other 10 tribe territories, and some were going to stay in, in their territories of, of Benjamin and Yehuda. Okay. And remember, and Benjamin was not much of a tribe by then because they had pretty much been wiped out um, during uh, what happened in Judges chapter 20, 19 and 20. We see like the destruction just about that that horrible story of what happened and how they had embraced and become sons of Bilial and Yah allowed great judgment and destruction to come to that tribe. So they were a very little, little Benjamin was a very good uh, description for them. All right. So let's see what's happening. 
Solomon's son, Rehoboam, was the next king to ascend the throne. Jeroboam, who had been head over the working class who constructed the temple during King Solomon's reign, was from the tribe of Ephraim. He came to Rehoboam and requested on behalf of the people that the extreme tax burden placed upon the people be reduced now that the temple was constructed. Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had been advisors to his father, and they counseled him that the right thing to do in this situation would be to reduce the taxes and give the people the relief they were requesting. Rehoboam wasn't sure that was the advice he wanted to hear. So he called together a much younger council to ask what their advice would be. The council of his peers, excuse me, was that he should not only refuse to lower the taxes, but he should make them even higher so that he could accomplish great things during his reign and make a name for himself as a king. He decided to take the advice of his peers. The kingdom split at this point into the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom was retained by King Rehoboam and comprised the tribe of Judah and Benjamin and most of the Levitical priesthood and a small scattering of the other tribes. They became known as the house of Judah or in today's vernacular known as the Jews. Okay, really, if they had made um, a, a, an accurate description for the, you know, to encompass the land that is now called Israel that became a modern day state again in 1948, which is a total miracle, a, a, a more accurate name might have been uh, Judea or uh, Yehuda, right? Because that's what what it what it was and um and that's who ended up retaining that land the the northern kingdom wasn't a part of that and that the house of of israel is what the northern kingdom is named as and they they weren't in that particular land so but there is the promise that all 12 tribes will be regathered into that land and i am looking forward for that point where we are one people serving one savior and it will happen all right. The northern kingdom was comprised of the other tribes, Reuben, Simeon, some of the Levites, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Yissachar, Zebulun, Manasseh, and Ephraim. Manasseh and Ephraim are the two sons of Yosef, which comprised his double portion inheritance given to him in Genesis 49. The blessing of the firstborn had been given to Yosef and passed to his son Ephraim, as explained in Genesis 48. So these tribes became known as the northern kingdom, the house of Yosef, the house of Ephraim, of Israel, or Yasharel. I did a video about this called 153 Fish and John chapter 21 to explain this in detail. So if you want more detail, go watch that one. We did a replay of it not long ago, so it should be uh, fairly easy to find. Um, so thinking about this, the fact that the blessing of the firstborn was given to Ephraim, all right, that's never been undone. <laughs> you know, they they still have the blessing of the firstborn, 
right? And they are alive and well on planet Earth. They have not been obliterated into the annals of history. They were cursed with a curse. And you'll see this when we look at the book of Hosea, which we'll be looking at. But what they were cursed with was that because of their disobedience and their idolatry, that they were going to be so scattered into the nations that they themselves would forget who they are. But Yah is, is reminding us of who we are. And that is amazing. Whether by blood or by faith, children, sons and daughters of Father Abraham. Okay. All right. Let's keep looking. In 1 Kings chapter 12, starting in verse 29 and reading down through 20, uh, sorry, starting in verse 25, reading through 29, we see this. Then Yorav, um, okay, so I'm reading out of the Sefer. So in the Sefer translation, they restore as much of the Hebrew as any translation I've ever seen. And that's one of the things that that makes me really love that translation. Okay. But what, who we're talking about is Jeroboam. Okay. Just in case you're, you're more familiar with um, things like King James or American standard version, this is, is how it was, you know, in, in history, we know that the J wasn't even in use as a letter. So that always trips me up when I see J's being used in the scriptures because they weren't part of, of, they weren't, it wasn't a letter, <laughs> you know? So, so anyway, that's why I use a lot of that. And you'll hear, you'll hear me, you know, really kind of stress that it's just because I love to study language. And once, once I see something, I can't unsee it. <laughs> you know what? That's just how truth works. If you, if you're going along and you learn something and you're an avid learner, well, once you learn it, you know, you can't unsee it, even how, even if it's uncomfortable with everything you've ever, ever known in the past, once you see something for the truth that it is, you can't pretend you didn't see it. Right. And so I've seen this even with the J. So it's hard for me to put these J's when I'm reading scripture. Right. All right. But they are talking about Jeroboam. Then Yoravam built Shechem and Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein and went out from thence and bit and built Penuel. Okay. What is that? That's, that's like the, if you break it down, it's a, a place of uh, face, like face to face with L that's where um, Yaakov uh, wrestled with the, with the angel. Right. Okay. And Yoravam said in his heart, now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of Yahweh at Yerushalayim, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Adonai, even unto uh, Rechavam, which is Rehoboam, Solomon's son, king of Yehuda. And they shall kill me and go again to Rechavam, king of Yehuda. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your Elohim, O Yasharel, which brought you up out of the land of Mitzrayim. And he set one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. You know, this here Yah gives him a personal word by the prophet that he's 
rending the house from Solomon and is going to put it into his hand. He was a captain of Solomon's army, right? And so, you know, he's given this word, but then he's so worried about keeping it that he doesn't trust Yah at all. He's worried that the people are going to go to Yerushalayim, to the temple and worship. Yah at the three appointed feast dates. So what does he do? He grabs onto these false idols that they had picked up out of Egypt and, and all the other pagan places where they had been. And he sets them up two very convenient, one in this part of the territory, one in this part of the territory. Look, you don't have to travel all the way to Jerusalem. Just come worship at these golden calves. They're really who brought you out of, of, of Egypt you know, so, and this is who you should come during the feast dates of Yahweh and let's worship these bulls instead. You know, this is just as good as going and worshiping um, Yahweh at the temple. This is what he did. I mean, absolute apostasy for a leader to act. This is a wicked servant is what this is. And I'm going to be really talking about that, that you know, we're going to dig in a little bit soon here to wicked servants in the house of Yahweh. All right, because that's what we're dealing with. All right, so so let's look at this. Who who was this that he set up? This is known as Apis, the bull god, little g, okay? A-K-L, A-K-A, also known as Baal and Molech. This particular apparition, abomination, came to the streets of New York and sits in front of Wall Street. And this began in 1989. So this is in our very recent history. Um, you can see this is popping up all over the place now. The uh, uh, Commonwealth Games uh, this last summer, summer of 2022, uh, what they did with the ceremony of that bull, this that was Baal worship is exactly what that was. They were worshiping, they were bowing down to it. This is, it is manifesting huge in our day today and has been, it's becoming more and more in your face every time you look, okay? So what is this thing that's being put up for us as, as what the enemy would like for people to be bowing down to? Baal El, it means Lord El, okay? This is why you don't hear me. Like when I'm reading the New Living Translation or other land translations and I see Lord, I will, I, I know anybody can call something Lord, right? It, it's El, right? Baal El, Lord El. Uh, Baal means Lord, okay? It's a title. And I don't want people to get confused. If I'm talking to you about the Lord, I want you to be very clear who I'm talking about. And it's not Baal. That is not who I serve, right? I serve Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth. And so I'm very clear about that. And that's why you hear me really stress the name because I don't want anybody to be confused about who I am lifting up and exalting. It is Yahweh. Okay, Baal El, Lord El, protector of the universe, is the leading deity and is frequently only referred to as Baal or Lord. He is the god, little g, most actively worshipped in Canaan and Phoenicia. 
He is the storm God, source of rainstorms, but also the spring mist and summer dew. Okay, that's why you see it at all these, you know, uh, the spring equinox, the summer, you know, the summer solstice, the winter solstice, the, you know, fall equinox. You, you see this come up. There's very specific points and it all revolves around the sun, right? <laughs> a creation of the most high. They are worshiping the creation, not the creator. Okay. All right. So he's considered responsible for the growth of vegetation and for the maintenance of life. However, he is not a crop or vegetation God. He is considered a forceful God and frequently shown striding forth, carrying a mace and spear or a lightning bolt and sometimes transforms himself into a bull. You will see this in the nation of a crane with like uh, their, the three, the trident, the three pronged trident being held up like, you know, by Zeus. Um, these are all representations of things that are associated with him. Okay. He was the son of Dagon. He embodies royal power, but could be influenced by evil Oh yeah, evil through and through. He continually fights for order versus chaos against the god Yom, the chaos monster of the sea, and life versus death against the god Mot, the god of drought, blight, sterility, and decay. He is also called rider of the clouds, master of the earth, and thunderer. Okay. Baal resides on Mount Zaphon, north of Ugarit. The Greeks considered Baal to be Zeus and the Egyptians Osiris or Amun. The Hebrews consider Baal as the chief god of the Canaanites. However, it is not clear if Baal is actually a specific, and that should be a little G, a specific god or just an abbreviated form of a more complete name as Baal translates as Lord and could be used in front of the names of kings as well as of gods and therefore maybe should always be followed with the specific Lord, i.e. Baal El, protector of the universe. Baal Melkort, which would be Lord of Tyre, Baal Shamin, Lord of Heaven, Baal Rose, Lord of Promontory, Baal Marab, Lord of Healing, Baal Lebanon, Lord of Mount Lebanon, etc. Or if these various specific lords are different personifications of the same God, little g, <laughs> Baal. It should be noted that Jews refer to God in the Hebrew Bible as El Elo, Eloheinu, or Elohim. These are all considered forms of El. This is why I think things get so, um, so confusing for people to understand because we do, our, our, our Yahweh is, we refer to him as El Elyon. It, it's not just Jews. It's the people of Yasharel, the people who honor him. You know, we understand that he is El Elyon. He is the most high. He is supreme. He is above every other. He is the creator of all good and bad, rebellious and faithful. Okay. That it's not something that's out of his control or that is knocking him off his throne or that he cannot uh, handle or defeat since he is creator of all. All right. So I did want to look at a little bit more um, out of uh, Wikipedia. 
Belzebub, okay? Belzebub, Baal-zebub, okay? Means fly, Lord. It occurs in the first chapter of the second book of Kings. So we're going to run into this in our study, right? As the name of the Philistine god of Ekron. In, in it, Ahaziah, king of Israel, is said to have consulted the priest of Baal-zebub as to whether he would survive the injuries from his most recent fall. Now, this is Ahab's son, Ahab and Jezebel, um, Ahaziah is who took the throne after them, okay? All right, so the prophet Elijah incensed at this impiety, then foretold that he would die quickly, raining heavenly fire on the soldiers sent to punish him for doing so. Jewish scholars have interpreted the title of Lord of the Flies as the Hebrew way of calling Baal a pile of dung and his followers vermin. I agree with that. <laughs> totally agree with that. Although others argue for a link to power over causing and curing pestilence and thus suitable for Ahaziah's question. The Septuagint, okay, so the Septuagint is older than the Masoretic text. The Masoretic text is done in Hebrew. The Septuagint was done in Greek, and it is our oldest copy of the scriptures, unless you go back to maybe the Dead Sea Scrolls, okay? As far as I know, I'm not an expert in that area, but that's what this is, is referring to. So the Septuagint renders the name as Baal Zibub and as Baal of Flies. Simacus the Ebionite rendered it as Bilzebul, possibly reflecting its original sense. This has been proposed to have been Bilzebul in the Ugaritic for Prince Baal. Okay. So now let's just look at a um, section here. Uh, where Akazia fell down, right? And where this is mentioned. So this is in 2 Kings 1, 1 through 4. Then Moab rebelled against Yasharel after the death of Akab, and Akazyahu fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber. This was in Shamron and was sick. And he sent messengers and said unto them, go inquire of Baal Zebub, the Elahai of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. Look, there, this king of the house of Yasharel is not inquiring of Yahweh. He's inquiring of Baal Zebub, right? They're in Samaria, which is what Shamron is. They're in Samaria, and this is what they're doing. This is where the, the woman at the well, this was in Samaria where Yahusha met her in Shamron. That's where this whole thing took place. Okay. There there's, so this is the history of what was happening there. The history of their leaders. Okay. Of our leaders, right? Okay. But the angel of Yahweh said to Eliyahu, the Tishbi. Now he's gone to inquire of Baal Zebub, but in messenger, a Malek of Yahweh is the one who provides the answer. Okay. Notice that in verse three, but the angel of Yahweh said to Eliyahu, the Tishbi, arise, 
go up to meet the messengers of the king of Shamron and say unto them, is it not because there is not an Elohim in Yasharel that you go to inquire of Baal Zebub, the Elohi of Ekron? I mean, Yah is just outraged at this. Now, therefore, thus says Yahweh, you shall not come down from that bed on which you were gone up, but you shall surely die. And Eliyahu departed. You know, perhaps if he had chosen to honor Yah, Yah might have preserved his life. But that's not what he chose. Okay, so I wanted to read a little bit um, out of, of Stephen Collins' book, The Origins and Empire of Ancient Israel. This particular section that I'm reading comes from pages 246, uh, 247, and 248. Okay. Since Solomon reigned 40 years, his golden age, which paralleled his obedience to God, lasted only a few decades. You can see it, it took him, you know, at the 20-year mark, right, is when the celebration of the completion of the temple began and the people began to come and, and have these annual festivals, right? That's when it began. So this golden age of prosperity paralleled his obedience and it only lasted a few years, a few decades, right? Because that's exactly how y'all works with us. When we are obedient, we we live in the blessings. And when we are disobedient, his hand is removed and it's seen all throughout. This is our, this is our example in scripture. There are blessings for being obedient. Since Solomon remained, reigned 40 years, his golden age, which paralleled his obedience to God, lasted only a few decades. His period of degeneracy occurred in the waning years of his life. It is significant that one of the Phoenician deities worshipped by Solomon was Ashtaroth of Sidon, a mother goddess associated with fertility worship. This mother goddess cult, whose worship included fertility celebrations and phallic monuments, also became pervasive in the Phoenician settlements of ancient America. And I would say it is, it's in the celebrations of current America as well. Just take a look at the dome of, of uh, Osiris and the phallus of Horus, which is our capital and, and the, uh, you guys know what I'm talking about, the huge, uh, I can't even think of the name of it right now, but I know you guys know what I'm talking about. You know, the, the big thing that looks like a, phallic symbol. Okay. I know you guys know what I'm talking about. All right. So this, this mother goddess cult whose worship included fertility celebrations and phallic monuments also became pervasive in the Phoenician settlements of ancient America. From that point on, the Northern 10 tribes of Israel became inextricably linked with pagan gods such as Baal and Ashtoreth. The mother goddess was worshipped in many nations and was known by a variety of names such as Ishtar, from whence the word Easter is derived. Ashtoreth was her Sidonian name. It is incredible that Solomon went from personally speaking with God himself to worshipping pagan gods associated 
with human sacrifice and sensual abandonment. It probably began rather innocently as the royal born women were gifts given to cement political ties. Since the women were royal born, they would have traveled with retainers and paraphernalia of their native culture. As these foreign princesses settled in Israel, they and their servants would continue to worship their pagan gods. Very likely, Jerusalem's embassy row was full of idols and foreign priests to attend those idols. As this trend continued, it is easy to see that each foreign addition to Solomon's harem resulted in a microcosm of that nation's pagan culture being transplanted to Israel. Solomon's character deteriorated as his idolatries grew and his charisma and aura of leadership also deteriorated. Nations and subjects began to lose their respect for, for him, and problems began to beset the nation. A testimony that when national leaders are sinful, their nations eventually suffer as well. We are living that right now. 1 Kings 11, 14 through 40 records that various Edomites and Armenians became adversaries of Solomon and a high Israelite official named Jeroboam, who was governor over the Israelite tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, was told by God through a prophet that he would become king over the northern 10 tribes of Israel after Solomon's death. When Solomon learned this, he tried to kill Jeroboam, even as the degenerate King Saul had tried to kill young David when God chose David to replace Saul, this account affords insights into how quickly Solomon's attitude and greatness slipped away from him. The Pharaoh of Egypt, who formerly had given his daughter to Solomon as a wife and conquered a city to present to Solomon as a dowry, gave sanctuary to Jeroboam, the heir apparent to most of Solomon's kingdom. Undoubtedly, resentment grew between Solomon and Pharaoh, and Pharaoh drew closer to Jeroboam, who was destined to rule the northern ten tribes after Solomon's death. This would soon result in Jeroboam's Israel remaining allied with Egypt and the Phoenician city-states, while the smaller kingdom of Judah, ruled by Solomon's son, would become the odd man out. At this juncture, the account of Solomon's rule draws to an end. What began so impressively ended ignominiously. I can't say that word. Solomon even exhibited a suicidal attitude in his final years. Now we're going to be covering the book of Ecclesiastes, which, which I believe was written at this period of apostasy in Solomon's life. And you can see what's happened with his attitude, where it's gone from praise to hopeless, right? Let's look at just this one part in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 12 through 17. Here's what it says. And I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do that comes after the king? Even that which has been already done? 
Then I saw that wisdom excels folly as far as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And I myself perceived also that one event happens to them all. Then said I in my heart, as it happens to the fool, so it happens even to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this also is vanity, for there's no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever. Seeing that which is now, which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And how dies the wise man as the fool? Therefore, I hated life because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me for all is vanity and vexation of the Ruach. You can, we can see by this that he was just in complete despair, right? And uh, just so interesting. Uh, let's take one more look at that. In Ecclesiastes 4, 1 and 2, it says, So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter, and on the side of their oppressors there was power, but they had no comforter. Wherefore, I praise the dead, which are already dead, more than the living, which are yet alive. I mean, do you see that? He was wishing for death. He wasn't happy with anything anymore. That's where his heart had led him. Now, this is a quote out of uh, Stephen Collins' book, and it's still out of the pages that I was reading from. And it says, one reason that ancient Israel's global age is largely missed by historians is that it lasted for so short a time. While Israel and Judah would still have major roles in the ancient world, their golden age had ended. And I believe that is it. Let me just do a quick check. Yes. So that's the end of this presentation. I hope you guys are enjoying it. When I come back, I'll be reading uh, chapters 11 and 12, and then we're going to dive into First um, um, Kings 11 and 12, and then we're going to dive into the book of Ecclesiastes, okay? And we're going to examine it from this viewpoint, and um, then we'll pick back up in Kings and continue with Kings and prophets. We're just going to keep interspersing what belongs in, in place is I'm doing it to the best of my ability. I'm, I'm no scholar. I'm just a, a housewife who loves to study. So I hope this is blessing you and Shalom. Day and night and night and day, the living creatures give their praise. To Him 